hear God's word. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but of the will of the one who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly while we wait for adoption and the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May God give us that hope and that patience to wait upon him as we attend to his word today and every day. Let's pray. Father, let your good news come now and find us, not only in word, but in power, in your Holy Spirit, and with the full assurance that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be truly acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock and you are our redeemer. All these things we pray in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Listen once again to these words. I consider that the suffering of this present time, the sufferings of this present time, are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. That sentence in itself is a lifetime sermon. That is the core of the gospel. And the difficulty and the tragedy and the mark of our fallenness is that we live in a world that does not know how to hear that very well, if at all. But here's the truth. God speaks to us in his sovereign grace and says, no matter what happens to you. This is why this first sentence is so important. I do not consider what's happening worth comparing because God says, no matter what happens to you, no matter how far you fall, no matter how you fail, my desire for you, says God, my ability to redeem you is greater. And that is what I have revealed in the life and the death and the resurrection of my own son. And that is what you will see beyond anything that tries to stand between you and me. That's what God is saying. No matter what has happened to us, no matter what is happening, no matter what will happen, God is saying, it doesn't compare. I know it's hard, he says. But it doesn't compare with what I have done and am doing and will do to redeem you and show you that I love you and that my love for you is more than anything you could ever imagine or need. That is what Paul knew, and it is what we can know, 
as we let our hearts be won over by the incomparable love of Jesus Christ. He loves us abundantly, richly, completely. And if this is not enough, Paul takes it a further step by saying the whole of creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God because the creation knows it was put in place, not being able to redeem itself so that it would have to wait upon God to make all things right. The creation didn't choose to be frustrated. God frustrated creation so that it would have to wait upon God. Our efforts to love, our efforts to be loved, to heal, to be healed, to restore and be restored are ones that are futile. Have you noticed that? No matter how good we we are at that, it never quite gets there. Because that is how God made us. Do you know why? So that we would have to seek after him. The fruit of the Spirit will only transform us when it truly is God's fruit overflowing out of us. Not our effort. God's work in us. And in seeking God to be found by God, God put it in our hearts to seek him. We seek God because nothing else works, and God put it in our hearts to be frustrated if we we go looking for anything else. Our way, my way, whatever way, other than God's way. And that is the only place we will know the promise of what our hearts more than long for and need. Here's a paradox. A paradox is an apparent contradiction. It isn't a contradiction. It it might seem like it. God has subjected us to futility. Why? that, That seems harsh. Unless we look at the rest of the statement. God has subjected us to futility such that the creation, that's us, will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. How? When we are in Christ. Paul's favorite expression. You see, only as we, the creation, are submitted to the one who can make all things new, we will be in bondage to decay. We've got to get our heads around that. Think about it. (laughs) Our bodies. Think about your body for a minute. Think about our environment. Not that we we shouldn't take the very best care of our bodies and the environment. We're stewards. We're called to do that. But think about them. Think about our body. Think about the environment. They're wearing out. Anybody notice that? Our bodies are wearing out. And our futility is marked by trying to reverse this. We should try to take care of creation, but it's winding down. The argument over climate change or global warming or global weirding or weather cycles does not take into consideration the second law of thermodynamics. You know what that means? Everything goes from an organized to a disorganized state. Just look at my garage after I've cleaned it up. It only takes a week. It's back the way it looked. And we can laugh about that. But the reality is that all of creation, our bodies, the sun, everything about 
everything around us is going from an organized to a disorganized state, and one day it's all going to wind down, and it won't work anymore. God is in charge. This place and we in it are going to wear out. We need a hope that is bigger than what we can do. We need a hope that is bigger than medicine and engineering and environmental science. When was the last time you heard someone say, while they were exercising or or when complimented for looking good for their age? You look good for your age. When was the last time you heard someone in either of those situations, while they were working out or complimented for looking good for their age, say, well, yeah, thanks, but the warranty on this body is shot. And I can't wait for the one God is giving me to replace it. When was the last time you heard someone say that? That's what we get to say to people. Now, there's a catchy form of evangelism. You look great for your age. Oh, yeah, but you ought to see what's coming. <laughs> hey, you, you're, you looks like your mile times are down. Yeah, but you ought to see how fast I'm going to be when God gets done with you. Yeah. See, the point is, we look grace straight in the eye, and we say, well, that sounds like a good option to get this new thing. But I'm going to try my way first. How do you think that looks from God's perspective? God says, I want to give you a new body. I want to give you a new mind. I want to give you a new spirit. I want to renew everything such that the second law of thermodynamics, which God says, by the way, I invented that. (laughs) That's the result of sin, by the way. I want to give you something better than all of that. How do you think it looks when we say, well, that sounds, I'll get back to you on that, God. Not that we're to let ourselves go, but God is saying, would you let yourself come to me and receive what I have for you? It's not that what we want is wrong. It's that it misses the perspective of eternity, the big picture. We want more of these years, and we want them at full strength. We want them as if we were 18 or 19, when in fact God is offering us so much more. Paul's point is that it is our calling to show the world a willingness to grow slowly wise as we let go day by day of the futility of thinking that our ultimate hope and meaning are in this world. They're not. I conducted this memorial service yesterday. I've done over 400. And every time I do, I am reminded this world is not our home. That cross that we stand beneath and that we sing about, there's our hope. That's what's going to make us whole. That's what is making us whole. Paul's point is that in Christ, we can welcome the wearing out of these bodies against the day when we won't need them at all. Bring it on, God. I can't do what I used to do? Great, that's a sign I'm on my way home. I'll live with that for now. We wait for it with patience. That's our hope. See, who hopes for what they can see? 
Oh, I want to look like Charles Atlas all the time. Then I'll have hope. God says, that's not hope. Hope is the recognition that this thing that you've got ain't nothing compared to God's way. God speaks like that. This ain't nothing compared to what I'm going to give you. Why are you comparing? You're looking at this. Dan Skinkus asked this week, Dan, where are you? Wave your hand. Right, there you are. Dan, Dan says, well, okay, couldn't we just be done now then? If this is true, when we come to faith in Christ and we trust him, couldn't he just go, yeah, okay, come on, let's go home now. Good question, Dan. And, and the answer God gives each of us is, when I say you're done, then you're done. When I say you're done, not before. We could say, yeah, but this thing's worn out. Or we could say, this, this body is done. Let's just call Dr. Kevorkian and get it over with. That's not, that's not ours to do. God says, when I say you're done, you'll be done. God is using our lives to point to his purpose by using us to show the, that our futility is for his glory. So if it's wearing out and we're hurting and we can't do what we used to do and we can't hear or see or feel or taste or touch like we used to, God is saying, thanks for being my vessel. Thanks for being that which gets poured out for the world to see that I'm going to give you something better. Thomas Smale once said about this, when the prayer made in faith is not answered, ever have that happen? The prayer made in faith does not seem to be answered. And the healing for which many have sought does not come. We are not to look for someone to accuse of failure in faith. Rather, we are to remember that besides faith, there is hope. And hope does not disappoint. God has to do with God's promises. And hope has to do with God's promises that are still future and hidden. Just as faith has to do with God's promises that are here and now. To the person who has believed for today, but has not seen the answer to come today, there comes the call to hope. God says, I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. Hope says, tomorrow is also God's. Tomorrow belongs to God. Enough has happened already to ensure you that the rest is on the way. Let's face it. Do any of us think we would be here today if God had not been taking care of us every step of the way? I should have been dead a long time ago, and probably most of us should be, or hurting a lot more if God had not been taking care of us. The, a big key to learning to wait on God's adoption plan is to see through God's eyes. And we can do that. God's Holy Spirit gives us the ability to see through his eyes. And that isn't always easy, and sometimes it hurts to look through God's eyes. As Marjorie Williams said in The Velveteen Rabbit, waiting and hurting make us real. And when you are real, you don't mind the hurting and the waiting and being shaped by God's perspective because it's God's way. And God's way is always perfect. If we want to see through God's eyes, then we need to learn that our bodies, not just physically, but spiritually, need to be redeemed. 
when we redeem something, when something is redeemed, I should say, we take that which is no longer worth anything and we get something back for it that is far better than what it was to begin with. Our bodies spiritually and physically need to be redeemed and this may mean learning to always be a servant. Always a servant at God's beck and call. To step back and to look through God's eyes. Pastor Chuck Swindoll reminded me of this recently when he said, nothing is more refreshing than a servant's heart and giving spirit. Especially when we see them displayed in a person many would tag as a celebrity. The higher up someone is, the more their, their servant status means. Years ago, he said, I, my wife and I attended the National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Washington, D.C., where one of the main speakers was Colonel James B. Irwin, a former astronaut who was part of the Apollo 15 crew that had made a successful walk on the moon. He spoke of the thrill connected with leaving this planet and watching Earth shrink into size such that it was just a blue marble hanging in the sky. He mentioned watching earth rise one day rather than sunrise or moonrise and thinking how privileged he was to be a member of that crew. And then he began to realize en route back home that many would consider him a superstar, an international celebrity. Wow, you walked on the moon. Humbled by the awesome goodness of God, Colonel Irwin shared his true feelings, which went something like this. As I was returning to earth, I realized that I was a servant, not a celebrity. So I am here as God's servant on planet earth to share what I have experienced that others might know the glory of God. That's what we're here for. That people would see pouring out of us, overflowing, splashing all over, the glory of God. A God who loves us more than life itself. God allowed Colonel Irwin to, to break loose from the small cage we call Earth during a time which God revealed to him a basic motto all of us would do well to, to learn. A servant, not a celebrity. I do not consider the things that I am now suffering worth comparing with the glory that is about to be revealed to us. Yes, God calls us to serve. But caught up in the fast lane treadmill of the 21st century, making mad dashes through airports, meeting deadlines, being responsible for big time decisions and coping with the stresses of people's demands mixed with our own expectations, it is easy to lose sight of our primary calling as Christians, isn't it? And what is that primary calling? To serve, to reflect that no matter how hard things are, we belong to the God of the universe who said, I've got this covered. I've got this covered. I'll give my son. That'll, that will, it has always taken and care of everything. See, the only, the only way to realize this is to see through God's eyes, not ours. That God is the one who does the adopting. 
And we are the ones who get adopted in every circumstance in life. This is what grace is about. This is what this table is about. It is what realizing Christian hope is. Not what we see, but what God sees beyond our vision. Being adopted means learning to wait for something better. Oh, how I learned that. Oh, how I am learning that and will learn that forever. I've been adopted. Not humanly, but I, I am an adoptive dad because dad, my heavenly dad, said, I've got something better for you. And Pastor Tim Keller puts it so well. He says, our adoption means we are, we are loved like Jesus is loved by the Father. We are honored like he is honored. Every one of us, no matter what, God says, I love you like that. Your circumstances cannot hinder or threaten that promise. No matter what's going on, no matter how hard it is, no matter how much your body might be wearing out, God says, you're mine, and I love you like I love my own son. In fact, your bad circumstances, Tim says, will only help you to understand and even claim the beauty of that promise that no matter, even when it's this bad, God says, but I've got this. And he proves it to us. The more you live out who you are in Christ, the more you become like him in actuality. Because we look at things and we say, it's not worth comparing. It's not worth comparing. Somebody slammed me. I lost this. My heart was broken. It's not worth comparing. Why? Because I belong to the God of the universe who gave his own son for me and now claims me with the same value as his son. Paul is not promising you better life circumstances. He is promising you a, a far better life. And that's where we get confused. We think circumstances dictate what our life is. No. Our life is in Christ. He's promising us a life of greatness. He's promising us a life of joy that's independent of circumstance. He's promising a life of humility. He's promising a life of nobility. He's promising a life that goes on forever. So let me ask you, today, tomorrow, Wednesday at 2 a.m., do you need to see through God's eyes? When your heart is breaking, when it seems like everything is going wrong, do you need to see through God's eyes? Do you need to be able to say, oh, wait a minute. I'm not comparing this with what I know is true because of Jesus Christ. Do you need to look back on earth, like Colonel Irwin, and see how small we are compared to the plan that God has for us? Do you need to be adopted by the one who has had you before you were a glimmer in anyone's eye? Don't we all? Don't we all? I thought so. So just say one word. God has placed that word in your heart. Say it with me. Yes. Yes. Come. It's time to go home. To this place. To that place. To the place where we belong to God, body and soul, not to ourselves but the one to the one who gave us life. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we so need to remember this. And, and we can't do that on our own. 
So we have to wait. And we can only wait because you give us the ability to wait. And we need to be adopted the way you define adoption. Claiming us, never ever letting us go. Lord, prepare our hearts to receive that every single moment of every single day until every single person that comes in contact with us sees the glory of what it means to belong to you. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Now let's stand and let us prepare to come to the table as we sing that beloved hymn beneath the cross of Jesus. And may that line, content to let the world go by, really stick in our hearts today. My friends in Christ, this is the joyful feast of the people of God, where the God of the universe meets us to show us that nothing in this world that faces us is worth comparing with what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And every single one of us is invited to come to this table. It is an open table. You do not need to be a member of this congregation. You do not need to be a Presbyterian. We do not check ID cards. God does not have any of that. God says you come, all of you, because I want everyone here at my table. In fact, Jesus says, all who humbly put their trust in him and desire simply to be delivered from the burden of the things of this world are not only invited, but encouraged to come here, that together we may all find rest and refreshment for our souls. So let's do that right now. As we hear those words of one so untimely born who fought against that, the Apostle Paul, who said, I have received, there it is, I have received of the Lord that which also I deliver unto you, that our Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread and blessed it and broke it. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. All of you, drink of it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again, and he is coming again. And so we take these ordinary elements to be set apart for that extraordinary use of pointing to that which God has yet to do and will do as we come with prayer and thanksgiving. Let's pray. Lord, we set these elements apart because you gave them to us to point to that eternal reality that is ours and will be ours that has come and is coming. And we pray that as we partake of these, we would give you deep gratitude and be empowered by your Holy Spirit to live in this promise. In your precious name we pray. Amen. And, and so it was that on the night in which he was betrayed, of all nights, on the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread and blessed it, and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples as I'm ministering in his name, give this bread to you. And he said, take, eat. This is my body, 
broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we do. And so we partake as we are served, and we invite you to do that as a reminder that Jesus meant that very sincerely and specifically for each of us when he said, take, eat. This is my body broken for you. And may we share that hope and that power and that joy with one another as we pass that, looking one another in the eye and saying, the body of Christ broken for you. Come, let us receive. In the same way, after supper, after he had given thanks as we have, our Lord Jesus took the cup and he poured it out. And he gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. All of you drink of it in remembrance of me. We invite you to hold that cup and be reminded as this cup and chalice remind us, purchased, brought home from Jericho, that the walls of the world came tumbling down because God simply acted and stepped into the world and gave himself for us. May we be reminded of that as we hold this cup and partake it together and may we tell one another the blood of Christ shed for you as we pass that train. Come, let us receive. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to be able to mean what we sang today, content to let the world go by, to know no gain or loss. We want to be able to say with your servant, I do not consider the present sufferings worth comparing with, for that which is about to be revealed to us. And so we pray that because we've been at this table, we would be empowered by your Holy Spirit to live those words, to find joy and delight, peace, independent of whatever circumstance we're facing because we've been at this table and because we live at this table in and with you because you have come to live for us and give us life forever. Lord, let that be the gift we share with the world because we've been here today. In your precious name we pray, amen. And realize as we receive it, the power and the truth of the fact that we go nowhere by accident. Where we go, God is sending us where we are, our Lord has a purpose in our being there. Because Jesus Christ indwells us, he has something he wants to do through us where we are. May we believe it. And therefore go joyfully in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the love of God the Father, in the communion and the fellowship and the equipping power of God's Holy Spirit every single step of the way. Amen.